That's right, they're playing video games for money. And I'm definitely not gonna let uh, Mass Effect in my house. The level of violence on video games. It might be hazardous to physical and mental health. Pokemon World is a world of the demonic. Then there's the argument that video games can be art. They're a world phenomenon. This week on Hitpoint Pals, it's E3 weekend, and there's already a lot to discuss regarding video game announcements throughout the week, including some more info on the ever-elusive and internet-exclusive Google Stadia. We'll also take a quick look at the conferences we're eagerly anticipating. But before that, Rebecca takes us on a voyage through the lens of queer theory. We're having a conversation about queer game studies, games that lend themselves to queer storytelling or gameplay, and the restrictions, both in game design and society, that create cultural stigmas about how we should, or should not, play. Welcome to Hitpoint Pals, where we gather once a week to talk about the games we're playing and dive into some of the big picture ideas going on in the gaming and pop culture world. I am your host, William Suit, and I am joined today by Travis Lean, our producer. Hello. And the aforementioned Rebecca Markley. Hello, friends. All right. Well, we're all here, so why don't we dive in with something a little light? Like, what games we've been playing over the past week? Will, you and I played a game called Ashen. Indeed. Um, and I thought it was a good experience, so I just wanted to kind of reflect on it a little bit. I uh, When did this game come out? I don't remember. It was within the oh, past year. Yeah, I think it was early this... Uh, or la March yeah, last, sometime? Maybe last sometime December. March? It was released in oh, December. Oh, last December? Um, yeah, so we had kind of... we. We were, we were, we liked the preview of it, right? Um, yeah. We're, we were pretty, pretty interested in it. We ended up getting it on a sale during the Epic sale. <gasps> and what? what? The Epic store. Oh no, we're not true gamers. Oh no. <laughs> okay, we're not talking about this. <laughs> um, what, what was your verdict on this game? It was a very neat budget Souls-like. Okay. That's, that, that's, that's an interesting it. way to frame it. Yeah, I mean... I, I I don't think it was anywhere near as good as Dark Souls, but it's not. It's evidently not Dark Souls. It's called Ashen anyway. So uh, yeah, I think I think on the whole it was like a nice budget Souls like. Yeah, the um, I don't I see. I I think it's interesting to compare it to Dark Souls because like the, obviously they have uh duplicated some of Dark Souls stuff. Like the the mechanical facets of combat in Dark Souls are they they feel very much taken directly out of that game, but overall like in a holistic sense i feel like the story is not at all similar to dark souls the vibe is very different as well yeah um i mean really the only things that are the same are like it's challenging combat and it's kind of the same like strafe and attack uh animation timing oriented combat the way currency and item upgrading is just like souls yeah there's a lot of save progression systems like um, souls but it's interesting that you said it's like a like a budget souls like because like i i kind of walked away feeling like this was a much more polished game than dark souls oh yeah it's certainly more polished but i think it has significantly less yeah uh well it's a shorter game yeah um the storytelling is i think well, we talked about this a little like dark souls <laughs> makes you reach to find a story this game tries to explain a story to you and doesn't yeah, do a very good I, job yeah, i think that it falls for me at least it fell pretty flat uh, i found myself very enamored with the art style and i guess if you're reviewing a game it's like how are you trying to determine how much of that influences your opinion of the game and like how much of that 
matters to you or to other people. I don't know. To me, art style, I feel like, becomes a big influence on my opinion of of a game. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like there were, unlike Dark Souls, there were, again, we're just like, now we're just flatly comparing this to Dark Souls. But like, there were no moments where I felt like, oh, this area is like, should have put more work into this or anything. I felt like every area was very well polished. The lighting was really well done all across the board. Um, I really liked the kind of semi-muted cell-shaded art, uh, portraying this kind of broken and desolate world, while also being somehow managing to be like a lot more colorful than Dark Souls, but not in a not in a cheesy way or anything. Like I don't know. I I I just really liked the art style of this game. Um, I liked. Although I don't quite understand some of the choices, I, I liked what they did with people and how they were faceless, except for that one woman, and this is where I get confused, because yeah. there was the one woman who did have a face, and <laughs> we kind of hoped that this would be explained, but it never was, which is fine, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. Those were kind of my takeaways from it. I liked the game. Yeah. I, um, I felt... Uh, yeah, it was certainly a very polished game. Um, I felt like... Yeah, I I really liked the way it looked. Um, the moments where the art style, I think, really, like, I I really really liked it was when we were in outdoors, where I could like see something in the distance or look around me and see kind of like just the atmosphere. Yeah, I think a lot of the game took place in like dark caves and canyons, and in there, I felt like oh man, no, this I, game does. I think it does darkness in dungeons so well. Yeah, it does that very well. But a lot of times, it was just like. I, I don't know. I couldn't really appreciate the look of some things in the game. Um, I, I, I mean, I guess it kind of made when you get into an open space all the more impactful. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really feel that as much as I felt I should have. Like we would exit out of a dark cave and be somewhere very large and expansive and really bright and something all new. And it wasn't really too exciting to me. Okay. Whereas in a lot of the Souls-like games... I'll go through something and get out finally after hours of just being in this abysmal situation. And then it's just like this sigh of relief, even if it looks terrible. Um, Combat, I felt, was much less refined than Dark Souls. It was I think it was extremely simplistic. There wasn't really a whole lot of depth to it. Um, But what it sets out to do, it does well. So, I mean, yeah, I think on the whole, I like the game. Will I remember yeah. it for a while? Probably not, but uh, I liked it. I don't think I'll, I'll probably, replay it. I'll probably it. remember it longer than you did. I, I would. I would. Fair assume. enough. Yeah. I mean, it was. It was. It was okay. It was neat. I have no complaints. Let me put it that way. Like, I did not have buyer's remorse. I'm glad that I got. Oh to yeah, play yeah. It And like, finish it. It was fun. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, I guess I. I it would be remiss not to mention that it has full. Uh, fully accessible co-op. You can play through the whole game with a friend, which is a thing you can't do in the dark souls games um it is not well it's kind of drop in drop out but like it's like fade in fade out (laughs) yeah yeah only the hub world is or like the hub city is a place where people can't uh co-op together so it's like you can play the whole game basically you can you can just meet up outside the hub world and you can go around and do quests and stuff which is what we did um and so in that sense i think uh maybe that helped the game feel a little easier and a little more accessible I kind of felt like this is a good stepping stone sort of entry if someone like has like thought about playing a Souls game but was maybe kind of turned off by like some of the difficulty or some of the conversation that is around like 
like Dark Souls, I think this game is still challenging. I think it's probably slightly less challenging than Dark Souls, but I feel like overall a combination of some of the mechanics and the art style and the simplicity and the length of the game being a little shorter, I think it's a it's a good entry point if someone is maybe like, I, I'm interested in like a Souls-like game, but I don't know if I want to like get my ass kicked by Dark Souls. Like, so I think Ashen is, is a nice like, like if you end up enjoying Ashen, I think then you might also enjoy the Souls games, I guess. Out of all the Souls-like games, the games not made by From Software that kind of copy elements of the Souls-like, I'd say this is probably one of the better ones. Oh, yeah, yeah. It has enough to differentiate it where it doesn't just feel like we tried to cash in on Dark Souls. Yeah. It's like, certainly there are elements that you can't deny are kind of lifted from Dark Souls, but they do enough, they like, they, they build enough on it and take it in a very different direction where I, I, I would not say this is a Dark Souls clone at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of Souls likes, we got to see some footage from Jedi Fallen Order today. Indeed, it looks kind of like a Star's Star Wars Souls like, and I yeah. like the look of it. I'm excited to to see how that plays. It looks really cool. I, I it looks well done. I, I, the combat looks fun. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's all I can really say. I as far as the trailer goes, I think I appreciated that it seemed like it was just like a it was just a 15 minute section that wasn't like cut down or anything like they showed the player character like get, they didn't show them die at all uh but they did show them get beat up a little bit which i thought that was interesting like it kind of gives you a, a more well-rounded sense of what the gameplay is like in this game other uh, uh, like aside from it like in con- contrast to other trailers where you're just kind of mowing people down or whatever because they want to mm-hmm. show you how cool the game is i i thought this trailer was i, I thought this trailer did an interesting job of kind of showing you like i i think they're trying to get you to feel like this game is challenging like a souls sort of game mm. um that's what it felt like to me i the uh it has the like the age-old knights of the old republic style like you run into this problem in star wars of you've got the lightsaber which can cut through anything but then like only jedis can have lightsabers <laughs> so so what what do we do oh let's just make like a like a sword or like an electric staff that can block a lightsaber for some reason. And uh, like, that's something you see, you see in revenge of the Sith mm-hmm. uh, with the Magna guards. And then you see that in Knights of the old Republic where they're like, Oh, it's a cortosis weave. That's oh, no, why it's a vibro blade. I've always thought that, that, that facet of star Wars lore is, is funny. And what people who do extended universe stuff like video games have to try to figure out. But it, I, I like, it works for me. It's not, it's a little like, I don't know. It's a little out there, but like, I I get it. Uh, I'm ex- I'm excited to play Jedi Fallen Order. I hope it's good. It looks. We got to see, see some wall running. Got to yeah. See some Titanfall two esque wall running. I have very little to say about the rest of the EA Play event. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I just I read that like there was a new Apex Legends hero or something, and. That people in the chat were like, "Oh, she looks like an SJW character." It's like, what's going on? Like, because she's a woman. What? What is an SJW character? And then well, I you said it right off. there. <laughs> a woman. It's a woman. Yep. There you I, go. I, I yeah. I don't know. I didn't watch the rest of EA Play. They, I was only really interested in Jedi Fallen Order. Um, there were some other announcements from EA. From, not from EA. From from the week of E3. I'm gonna keep stumbling over EA and E3 and use them interchangeably probably throughout this podcast um but this week we got an announcement for Baldur's gate three yeet and that reminded me that we need to 
somehow get through Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. Oh, we will. And the Divinity uh, Original Sin games. Uh, we'll do it. Uh, I have faith. I got to watch this grotesque uh, preview of a man morphing into, like, a squid, and I said, ah, oh, this sounds disgusting. He turned into, like, a mind flayers. Mind flayers, they're so gross. I'm very unfamiliar with what that is. My man's teeth fell out. Like, oh, this is, oh, this is, he's having a rough day. Um, yeah, I, man, it's been, they did some, like, they did some DLC for the Baldur's Gate games within the past couple of years or so, right? Yeah. I like, it's going to be interesting to see a modern take on Baldur's Gate. Because Baldur's Gate is so regarded as this classic, but it's from the 90s. So it's like, it's not like you can, <laughs> it doesn't feel like uh, the, the like Divinity Original Sin type style we're used to. I'm interested to see how that style gets transplanted onto yeah. this franchise. And, and it's very interesting you say it that way because, like you said, we're interested to see what it'll be like because there is no gameplay. It's just, you know... Oh, yeah, but just the, the concept of... So we've got like, an announcement for Baldur's Gate 3. It's like, yeah. this kind of came out of nowhere. I don't know if anyone was expecting that. That's neat. So Especially not in conjunction with the Google Stadia event. Oh, yeah. That was that was announced at Go the Google Stadia thing, right? Yeah, that was like very surprising. So what did they announce at the Google Stadia thing? They announced, I believe, pricing, uh, uh, plans for what Google Stadia would, um, w when it would be launching, mm -hmm. um, as well as, yeah, some game announcements for it. I was more than confused, I think, about their plans for the Stadia rollout. Yeah, I thought I had a good idea of like, what Stadia was going to be, but then after the event, I'm very confused instead. Like there had been a lot of discussion about maybe it would be like a Netflix of games, like you would pay monthly and have access to some games that you could just jump in and play. Mm -hmm. But now it seems like it's kind of that, but also you have to buy games through Stadia. And then there's like two versions of Stadia. Stadia Pro, which is 10 bucks a month that gets you 4K streaming and additional games added to a library. And then there's free Stadia, which doesn't get you additional games added to a free library. But is Free like, Stadia 100% free when it launches in 2020? Or do you have to buy like a peripheral or something in order to get access to that? I believe it's free because it'll be on just So Chrome I can just pick like, up my Xbox controller, make a Google Stadia account, not pay a dime and just like stream some games? But see, well, here's the thing that's confusing because you can you also buy games on Stadia or through Stadia. Oh, okay. Or from so maybe like in the free version, you're not going to have access to the to the library of games. You're going to have to buy them individually. You're going to have to buy your games, and you only get 1080p at 60 frames a second. Right. I think. I think. I had. I had a hard time putting. No, it no, together. no. That's that. That that was a part that was clear to me. Like okay. Pro gives you 4K. Uh, Non-Pro does not. Yeah. Um. But, like, here's the thing. So few things actually, like, in video content stream at 4K, like, that's just not widely used. Like, Amazon Prime has, a, like, a select library of 4K titles. Mm -hmm. So, like, I can't imagine how this would work with video games. I, I don't know. We'll have to see, because that's, I think, the biggest thing that people are waiting for. Um, oh, he, I've got the uh, Stadia Founders Edition Google Store page open, and it compares... Stadia Pro, the 10 bucks a month, and Stadia Base, the free version that'll come next year. And the part that really confuses me is, okay, I get the paying more to get 4K, 60 frames a second. That makes sense. And free, you only get up to 1080p at 60. Okay. 
And both of them, you can on both of these uh, services, you can buy games whenever you want. I would hope so from a storefront. But then the part that really gets me is it says it has a section called additional free games released regularly. For the pro version, it says, yes, starting with Destiny 2, the collection. And on the free version, it says, no. But it says additional free games regularly. Does that mean there is a set of free games that will never grow if you have the free version? That's what I would assume. That's what I Maybe would assume, too. Maybe that's the way they're you... planning it right now. I can't imagine that being how it stays forever. Yeah, because it seems... Maybe they're doing that to get people to use Stadia to play these free games and then maybe want to do play some other games or buy some games and hopefully upgrade up to Pro, the 10 bucks a month. But they've got to shift that free game library. Like, they've got to update and take away titles at some point in there. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to see how Stadia will perform. That's, that's the big thing that I'm interested in. Yeah, when does the... Because it's like you... You can get, like, essentially what's early access with this Founders Edition, and what, did it say November is the launch of this, yeah, or something like that? Yeah, it's November. I don't think they specify a date, just November. Okay. Because, I mean, yeah, the big thing is going to be, does this actually work, and when people finally get access to this, who are not just journalists and can, like, try this in their home settings throughout the world, then we're going to know, like, does this actually work? Does it only kind of work? Is it terrible? hmm Man, that's going to be a day. It's going to be interesting to see video games being streamed. Cool. That's uh, stuff from this week. All right. We're going to be going to a short break. And when we come back, Rebecca will take us on a voyage through the lens of queer theory. And we're back. And just like that, I'll hand it off to Rebecca. (laughs) All right. Thanks. It's a good toss. (laughs) I liked it. Um, so before we sort of like jump in, I want to give a little bit of background and kind of like where I was coming from when I wanted to talk about this sort of topic, because, you know, it's June, so that means it's Pride Month. And I really wanted to talk about, you know, queerness in games, but go beyond just LGBTQ plus representation, because everyone or anyone worth talking to already knows that media representation is important and that video games definitely need to be better in their representation of diverse characters and diverse perspectives and stories. So this is an attempt to kind of explore that. However, I don't want to diminish the importance of representation. I'm just personally tired of having the do better conversation and want to celebrate what we already have. I really just wanted to talk about how games are actually very, very gay. And anyone who plays games, they are engaging with queerness, whether or not they realize it. And so I know this sounds pretty counterintuitive, because video games are often very hostile towards queer players and women and people of color and people who are just generally different from the stereotyped white cis heterosexual man between the ages of 18 and 35. But throughout this discussion, I kind of wanted to explore three main things. And one is the ways in which games are fundamentally queer. Two, to talk about some game systems and games that we like that have allowed for queer stories to kind of unfold and to explore queer perspectives. Um, And then lastly, I want to talk about the ways in which we can make games even gayer. Excellent. 
Yes. Rebecca, <laughs> what? what is queerness? All right. I'm so happy you asked. Um, oh, I guess there are two real kind of sort of like two working meanings of queerness. The queer, the word queer used to be like a pejorative towards people who identified as LGBTQ+. But after a lot of reclaiming, it's sort of been used to be an umbrella term for all sort of LGBTQ plus identifying folks. Um, but pulling a little bit from queer theory, which explores queerness as a concept, what it means to be quote unquote queer, and the realities of being and thinking in ways that are fundamentally different from what is quote unquote normal or hegemonic. Um, I like to think of queerness as like a vibe or an ethos or a spirit. To be queer is to reject what it means to be acceptable, valued, straight, and it means challenging, like it fundamentally means challenging beliefs about pleasure and power. Um, so queerness is kind of like a, like a sandbox or like an infinite closet where there are no rules. You can mess around, play, dress up however you want to be. Queerness is fun and constantly shifting, exploring, and also questioning. Yeah, um, I guess my understanding of queerness is that it is kind of a rejection of some of the labels that we use in society to talk about ourselves and one another and kind of a way to uh kind of a way to say that maybe some of these barriers aren't as effective or or not uh, yeah just not as effective at explaining the world as they should be mm -hmm. um like i don't know like my, my understanding of some of the like structuralist stuff in the world is that like labels and boxes are important as far as just ha being able to have reliable communication in a lot of cases but then when it gets into more like it also it also leads to like dangerous and extremist views where i mean that's what leads to like you know racism or uh this depression of minorities or people who are not straight or cis or identify as different yeah types of sexual orientations queer theory definitely comes from like post-structuralism where it is sort of like rejection of binaries and kind of like aims to sort of critically examine the mess that's in between all of that and like what those sort of lived realities and experiences are. You know, a great example is sort of like gender where you have, you know, masculine and feminine and you have everything else in between where we actually all lie. But, you know, it's sort of how do we navigate those two spaces and what sort of comes up when we um, decide to make choices that impact how others see us. I think like a really simply, there's sort of like this very, very, I guess, reductive argument um, that I was playing around with that says, you know, games are fun and games as funness are a form of play. And play is definitely an aspect of queerness. And so games are queer. And I think this is also kind of like looked at like easily to you can easily see this within our sort of like capitalistic society that kind of worships doing things and being productive where you can choose to spend your very very precious time that you could be doing something better with but you're choosing to play a game you're choosing to kind of like go into a story world into a video game 
Um, and I think that is a very sort of like a queer choice of what you can do, where you have, you know, what you ought to be doing as being productive, making money, you know, um, bettering yourself. And so I, I was um, kind of like remembering when I was younger um, with my parents and just kind of like arguing with them about like games not being a waste of time. And I also think that that's kind of like another sort of queer experience, like wanting to behave in ways that are different from what is prescribed to you or expected of you. Um, seems very like punk and very alt. And I think that is totally, um, I think that totally within the same vein. I have a quote from Dr. Bonnie Ruberg from her book, Video Games Have Always Been Queer. And this is the quote. Placing games in dialogue with queer theory reveals the deep-seated resonances between queerness and games, from their emphasis on world-building to their denaturalization of the normalized body and their invitation to think, to rethink the mechanisms of desire. Um, so kind of just to jump in some, to, into some more questions, why do we enjoy games? Like, what do they give us? I know for me, they're kind of escapism. They're really fun to sort of just like check out and play in a world that is totally different from mine. Um, or I can construct a world that is totally perfect and everything is wonderful. And um, there's also an, an enjoyment in that as well. Yeah, I think for me, and one of the reasons I gravitate uh, better towards story-based games rather than like multiplayer focused games is that like I like seeing what different creators can do as far as creating a world and then because it's in the medium of a video game um you have in most cases you have a lot more freedom to poke around in this world like quite literally uh look in different corners of the world and discover just getting to see how different creative people approach world building I, I think to me has always been one of the big, big bigger draws especially with games like Probably the first like, big open world game I played was Morrowind, and Morrowind is a very odd game, and that's that, that was just a cool experience to be able to roam about and see all the different designs and all the different towns and kind of how people decided to draw up this world. Yeah, I think exploration is something that is, you know, fundamentally queer, because, you know, when you do sort of start rejecting um, labels the binary, you have to, you know, you have to explore because you have to start figuring out what's there. And I think that is a really great example of, of the way games are queer, or at least some types of games. Hmm, that was, I don't, I don't know, this is all very new to me. So I'm just, <laughs> I'm right. I have a pad of paper and I'm writing some notes on it, but um, I guess with, within a lot of games, like I, I've always really enjoyed, I guess they're called sandbox, sandboxes. I very much enjoy how games can offer me kind of a most relatively consequence-free environment to make choices and to do things. I'm always fascinated by games as, with a with some sort of a sandbox because then I can, no matter what happens, it's within that sandbox and it's not maybe what you would expect. There's all sorts of things you can do. I always like to see and, and, and stretch the limits of what I am able to do in a sandbox. I think games like Mountain Blade... That was one of those games I played pretty young that just kind of dropped me in a world and said, all right, you better get doing something. And I, I wasn't really very used to that because usually it's, I need you to go here. I need you to do this. And this was a game where it just kind of 
dropped me in a world and I got my ass kicked, but I just kept coming back because it was, I don't know, I had never really gotten to play anything like that. And I think Crusader Kings 2, in a way, is similar. There's just so many choices. I mean, everything you do, there's so many choices. There's no real innate way that you are to do things. Yeah, I was definitely thinking about that. Um, Crusader Kings 2 as being a pretty gay game um, because there, there's sort of like a an absurdity too that's under there with like the, the random events where you're just like mm-hmm. I just thought it was hilarious um, when I was playing it last weekend um, just kind of like oh well, of course my person you know gets sick and dies the minute after I you know declare war like of course you know and just sort of like not having an objective just kind of like oh whatever happens happens definitely very very queer another question uh when did you realize that games were more than just something fun to do i I, when i was a lot younger i had mainly just played games because my friends did and they were they were fun like Mm -hmm. why 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 on earth would i why do i play tag on the school ground as an elementary schooler because it's fun but i I played (laughs) i played final fantasy 8 at a friend's house. And that to me was like the first time there was like a romance in that game. There was there was story, there were characters who were more than just like the bad guy or like something to like attack or jump on like a Goomba in Mario. <laughs> so to me that was that I think that was the first time where I was not only playing a game for oh I like the combat, I like running around and exploring, but also because I really want to see what these people do. Mm-hmm. if that makes any sense i mean in the end looking back that game was not all that great and the characters were not all that good but compared to what i had played before that it was it was like it was completely different yeah i guess another way to think about the question is like when did you realize that games had meaning beyond just like the kind of oh i have to do this way like this particular thing for this particular reason I know for me, it was when we were playing Elder Scrolls um, Skyrim, and it was, I think I was like home for Christmas break, and me and Cam and my younger brother, we were all playing our own game at like the kitchen table, and I think we, I don't know, we put in like so many hours together, but we weren't playing like cooperatively at all, we were all just like in our own games and I just thought that was like a really just kind of like absurd, strange thing to be doing. And like, I remember my parents just like commenting like, oh, like you're all playing together and be like, oh, ha ha ha. No, we're not. And then they just like didn't understand that. And then I just kind of was like, oh, wow, like games can be kind of whatever you want them to be. Um, you know, you can sort of just go into a game, come out of a game. Um, you can choose which kind of like game sort of experience you want to have with all of the various options that there are out there. Um, and so that was kind of like my first like, oh, games games are really fucking gay. Like one of the aspects to, to me that defines a, a lot of what I think of it, it means to be a gamer or to be gaming or however you want to phrase it is some of the communities that extend beyond the core experience of the game. Um, kind of the old trope or visual of like uh like a gamer who lives in their like parents basement and just plays games alone all day Mm -hmm. and knowing that that's not true and that there are many communities around games like even single player games like skyrim 
there are like huge communities out there both in like in person and on the internet where you can talk about this game with other people and the competitiveness of esports and how people work uh their asses off to get into a position where they can play professionally and kind of get into all of these sort of aspects of like teamwork and camaraderie and the sort of stuff that used to be exclusive to traditional sports and now it extends to a different market of of different people who are in different age groups or are who are built differently uh like physically and but are still able to participate in these kind of celebrations of humanity and uh competition and sports where people all come together to in in like the best case scenario you know uh lift one another up and uh be able to just be together enjoying a game and a sport and a competition um and it's a it, i mean it's a very new thing like in the in the realm of video games like this would have been like beyond visualization 15 or 20 years ago mm-hmm. and now it's a very widespread thing um that part of it has always been interesting to me just to see the the way the different communities form around a central idea of a video game or a genre of games and how they expand and take over and kind of redefine what it means to to be gaming i think esports are like a pretty cool example of kind of like bridging the gap between video games being like not real entities and them being very very real because i think you know like physical sports you're 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 out there you're like dribbling a basketball it's very um it's very real it's very physical it's very tangible whereas like video games are just kind of like this this thing they're just you know it's just code there's nothing that's actually there but it's at the same time it's it's extremely interactive um and it's really cool to see kind of like esports develop as like a as a way to bridge that gap where you still have like this community you still have like you know good there's still sport involved but it's still kind of you know fake and that's really fun yeah and i think it's helpful for people who maybe are scared of video games or don't really understand what they are uh you know think that they like rot kids minds or whatever to be able to see like when a major network like ABC is broadcasting Overwatch League games, then it kind of, it, we're, we're giving people a tangible visual where they can look and see like what a video game is and what people think about it and how people can come together and play a game like this and how it can kind of function in society and isn't just kind of my initial example, like a, a thing in someone's basement, right? Yeah, definitely. Um... And I was also thinking, like, other ways that games can be queer are, like, indie games. Um, I saw an analogy somewhere that kind of said that indie games are, like, the the zines of the game world. And I I mean, I don't know if you know what zines are. It made me giggle because I make a lot of zines. But um, people are, are, are making their own game and in, in, in putting it out there. It's all independent. It's not mediated by some other sort of, like, publisher or any of that and I thought that was also very very queer because there's a there's a huge sort of like link between zine culture and queerness and I just thought it was fun to like actually you know and there's lots of um queer game creators out there like I know that um 
it's like a huge topic at like the Portland Indie Games Squad, where they talk about queer gaming and and queer people in games and supporting, you know, like LGBTQ folks. And and I think that's, you know, a really, really great avenue that's pretty obvious for why games can be queer. Um, and I know that we're kind of like in the middle of a pretty big sort of like indie game boom, um, where you have platforms like like Steam that kind of like allow you to just sort of like throw your game up there. Um, someone who I was talking to about this um, jokingly called Steam like a gay bar where there's just kind of like, yes, yeah, straight people can come there and that's totally fine. But there's also it's also a space to sort of play and um, and, and like the marketplace where people can upload all of their own sort of like mods, which like quite literally go in and change the game make it queer from like what was you know the vanilla game um i feel like i i i understand like obviously i know that there are video games that like are more inclusive to queer people than others Mm -hmm. um and that's more of like a like a practical application um but i think what i'm having the hardest time figuring out is like the way you're talking about queerness in what this feels like a more abstract sense to me yeah um if that makes any sense i'm having trouble with that part of it and just trying to connect the dots in my head to see if there's something that just needs to click for me i'm not sure i think it's about doing it's about doing things differently you know um doing like going off and kind of like taking the long meandering path deciding that you aren't going to you know choose what is expected of you and that's kind of like what queerness is in the abstract does that kind of make sense sort of so if i'm trying to think of like a way to to physically conceptualize this within a video game space mm-hmm. like you're sent on a quest but instead of doing the quest in skyrim you go off and like i don't know murder a woman and rob her house yeah yeah yes. oh wait that's uh-huh. huh okay because I thought that, but then I thought no, because that's developed there within the game. You're doing, uh, yeah. I mean, see, I think isn't that, that expected that's also the you? hard part of it because there's there's, I, I, there's so many of, layers. Yeah, yeah. Because for me, because like, see, there's see, stuff I, that yeah. the game developers have programmed to allow you to do, and then you can go beyond that with mods, where people mod the game so that you can do things that the game developers didn't want you to do. So I feel like there's many different levels of breaking boundaries. And then yes. there's like boundary break on YouTube where they literally break the camera and run around and try to figure out what's going on in this game and how it was made and see behind the scenes. I yeah. think that's part was- of why my brain like gets tripped up because there's so many different things to think about. And at any given point, I'm not sure which part of this concept we're talking about. And it's kind of difficult for me to think about it in a very holistic sense all at once. I feel like I'm a person who needs more like specific and practical examples to yeah. follow along Fair. very well. So I think, yeah, there, there are two, there are, you know, two major levels where there's like you in the game and you sort of like making choices about how you want to play the game that are kind of like different from your main objective. Like you were saying like, okay, you're supposed to go on a quest in Skyrim and then you decide to run off and kill some woman and rob her house. Um, that right, would not be... that I would do that, but just, yeah. I don't know. That was just, I guess maybe I would, I don't know. Yeah, that would be kind of like, way of like querying the game and like what's really cool about skyrim is that there are so many like it is like a sandbox world and i think that is again another queer example of of games where like you have infinite not really infinite you have 
many more choices than you would otherwise have in um, other games where you have more kind of like clear objectives and like you have the very next step that's kind of like laid out for you for you I think those are very kind of like polar opposite kind of kind of things um and then you know on like a deeper level you have like literally going in and changing the game and how it sort of plays to however you want it to be and like that is also another very very queer sort of thing where you know you're just kind of like redefining the game and your game experience that's totally outside of what was kind of dictated by the game developers and then you know like even if you pull back to like a systemic level where like i was talking about earlier where like even the act of playing a game is queer you know if we look at it through the lens of um capitalism and productivity and liberalism and improving yourself um you're you're over there w wasting time sinking like hundreds and hundreds of hours into something that is probably not going to go anywhere Okay, wait, now I'm a little more confused again. Oh, no! Um, so, games themselves are... Okay, so... I'm, I'm of, slowly gaining it, more comprehension, by the way. Instead of taking part in, like, this capitalistic system uh, and, like, spending time playing these games rather than doing those other things that you mentioned, but aren't the vast majority of games a fundamental part of that system? So isn't the act of playing them engaging in it wholly? Yes and no. Because you're purchasing games and... Contributing more to that, okay. I'm, uh, well, I mean, and then you have like the whole indie game thing, where like people just release free games out on the world wide web, and you can just play them, and that's completely outside of even the sort of capitalistic system. Oh yeah, I, I get that. I'm just saying, like for other games, like we 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 buy, isn't that act? Yeah, like wholly engaged. It, it, it's, well, you're assuming that I'm not a rampant like pirate who only torrents <laughs> games. But but play is okay. Well, hang on. Well, I'm not. That's not what I'm getting at, though. No, I know. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just. I'm okay. So I get the indie game part, and I get the, I I kind of get the you know in the game itself, mm -hmm. but the act of playing, like if you go out and buy a game, you're con you're consuming like a product, and that's fundamentally part of that like capitalistic system. I guess. That, that 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 part's what what's confusing me but the playing within the game i guess i, I kind of get yeah well i mean you can be two things you can also continue to participate in a capitalistic society and then you can also make choices that are queer that sort of go beyond that right because you are either queer or you're not queer like it's way more messy than that like there's shades of gray it's all gray um so where, like, you have a choice between, like, oh, I'm going to go, I don't know, practice the piano because I have a recital later. And you decide to just, you know, play games instead. I think that would be, you know, a queer choice because, like, you have something that you ought to be doing and there's a reason why you're doing that and you're deciding that, like, nope, I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to be irresponsible and play video games instead. And this, like, next part, I was kind of wanting to think about, like, yeah, more concrete examples of, of ways in which games sort of explore this really wanted to talk about tabletop role-playing games because i think they're super gay um i play a lot of DD, and i know like historically people who play DD have been hardcore teased because it's you know really really dorky to like play <laughs> at a table with your friends and you have this imaginary world in your head and it's not real but it is also real very similar to like video games um but i think there's something more vulnerable about having to sit with a whole bunch of other people and you have 
this world that is totally imaginative, like imaginative, and it's being narrated to you by a friend of yours who's also sitting there, and they have complete control over, you know, the of, of what's happening in the story world, what's happening with combat, what's happening with your characters and with the characters that you're interacting with. Um, and then you're kind of just sitting there with like your pen and paper, just being like, okay, yeah, I, um, I'm here. And I think there's several things that are, you know, I guess I would call that like a queer experience. And then to, to take that even further, I think there, there's a lot of sort of like dom sub kind of relationships that are very kinky with, um, a, you know, a game master and the players. I think there's, you know, like they are sort of like mitigating the world to you. They sort of like blur the line between someone who was a cooperative player with you with like NPCs and they run the the baddies, they run the villains, like they try to outsmart you. And um, I think that is quite different than than most sort of game experiences where you either are cooperative or you're all kind of, um, you know, playing competitively with each other. Another sort of like specific example is like Powered by the Apocalypse, which is a really, really simple um, uh, game system that was created in like 2010. And it's been used to create many other tabletop role playing games like Monster of the Week, Dungeon World, Tremulous. Like these are all quite popular. And um, they because like the game system is like so simple, like you can just kind of like take it and create it your own because it's not really built on a story world like D&D is or kind of like a mythos like Call of Cthulhu is. It's just like these are some rules. This is how, you know, actions work. This is how combat works. This is how, um, you know, leveling up works. These are the dice that you use. Um, And then another example I wanted to talk about with Powered by the Apocalypse is their um, their own combat system, which I thought was really different because instead of using hit points, they use what's called harm and you have like a certain amount of harm. That's a number. And, you know, when you're in combat, you take harm or you're, you deal harm and it's like a much more simplified version of hit points. And that kind of made me kind of like wonder, like, what even are hit points? Like, are they you know, are they, is it like a measure of your physical fortitude? Is it like your strength, your size, your meat points? Like, why are some sort of creatures that you're fighting have more hit points? Like, why do you get more hit points as you level up? Like, what's actually going on there? And I just thought that was another sort of like queer example of embodiment. I just thought of hit points as a measure of like, just a way to quantify your remaining durability. Like in real life, I could probably be punched like twice and I'd die. And so, but the most abstract part of hit points to me is reclaiming them. Like you mm-hmm. take a health potion and I think you just kind of have to go with that because it's, it's like an expedited trip to the doctor and recovery. Like mm-hmm. it's just not a, not a thing. You're just instantly better. And that's the part of it that I don't get, um, but is present in almost every game. Yeah. And we just, I feel like it's also fun that we just kind of like decide that like, oh yeah, we all know what hit points are, but we also don't really know what they are. Um, right. <laughs> They are, I don't know, I guess we can maybe, like, look up what our hit points. But I imagine it's really different from, like, various sort of game systems as well. It's like, I know in D&D it gets pretty hard to think about 
hit points because like some monster, you know, you, you get so many more hit points as you level up. And if you start at level one and you end up at level like 11, like, are you just, do you get like really thick skin? <laughs> like, are you, <laughs> you know, when you, when you're able to take like four or five sort of like hits with like a, I don't know, a, a mall, like, how are you still alive? Like, I, I don't know. I just think it's, I feel like you can, you know, write it off as like, oh, it's just magic, but I don't know. Just I think of it more as like, let's say in in real life you are like a, I don't know. You're a, a very, uh, you're not very active. You're not very physically fit. You're like a let's say you're like a like a fry cook or something, and you decide, I want to be the main character of like a like a fighting movie, and I want to have like a like a like a rise to greatness. I'm gonna start training to be like a UFC fighter, and then you go through like a years long process of of training your endurance and your physicality and you get yourself up to the point where you this is just a very physical version of this though where you where you're like a you're you're more muscular and you have a lot more endurance and you can fight people in in the ufc and you go become a ufc fighter or something like that is kind of how i've usually thought of it like you start out in a game like knights of the old republic as kind of a nobody and then along the way you embark on this journey that really kind of hardens you like mm -hmm. mentally and physically um but there is obviously still a lot of abstraction, but that's always kind of the way that I framed it in my head is like this person is going through a lot of trials and tribulations. And like at the beginning of the story, they probably would have like kind of like in the first Captain America movie, although this is a terrible example because he gets magic. But like in the first Captain America movie, he gets like knocked out in an alley. But then by like later in the movie, he has gone through he's gone through an expedited process, but he's still gone through a, a process in which he has become more durable and is is better equipped to take people on in a in a physical fight yeah i that is an interesting way to, to think about it um wikipedia the first sentence says that it indicates you know a character within a role-playing game their continued ability to function um and i think just that the word choice like the choice of the word function is really interesting because I feel like it kind of connotes or erases like disability. You know, it kind of like implies that you like, oh, you have to be like fully functional. But like, what does that mean? Um, Wait, does it say fully functional or function? It says continued ability to function. Okay. I mean, that doesn't innately mean that disability is not present. I guess that's true. Because to function, I mean, it says like to your ability of a full function or something, but if it's just function, mm -hmm. I feel there's a huge, there's an immense range there of function and how one. And I guess it could that. be defined to like whatever specific function like you need to be performing or doing. I feel like it's also a way to like have a well-rounded encompassing of different types of harm that can come to you you use the term harm earlier i just realized um yeah where like if you're in a let's say you're fighting like a like a man with a sword but also a witch and the man with the sword like slices <laughs> your arm so you've got like a you've got a bad cut and you lose some hit points but then like the witch casts a spell on you that makes you i don't know like really frightened or something and mm -hmm. then you also lose hit points from that but it's not necessarily physical damage it's just kind of a way to encompass your 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 ability to continue and when you hit zero then that's what when you pass out or die mm -hmm. another game that i thought of as being pretty sort of like i guess 
um, allows, you know, players to explore queerness is The Sims 4, um, where they sort of elaborated on like the gender and the sex options where you know players get to decide if they prefer masculine or feminine clothing when they're creating a sim um if their sim you know gets pregnant or impregnates other people um i really like the gender neutral sort of language there that like you know it's talking about the action it's not just like oh they are a woman or they are a man um and i think there was also just like do they stand up to go to the bathroom or do they sit down to go to the bathroom which i also thought was like very um inclusive language and um i just thought that was pretty neat these are all things that you decide when you're making a sim yeah when you're making a sim okay Mm -hmm. um and I just thought that was kind of like a good example of, of of game design that sort of like allows queer storytelling, queer exploration to occur. A game that I played recently out of curiosity is a game called Battletech, which is a uh, it's set in a futuristic world where the the galaxy has been colonized and there's a lot of very heavy RPG elements and it's based on a tabletop game. So there's a lot of heavy lore and stuff and that was kind of why I, I after i had played for a few hours i got on the internet and started looking around to learn more about this world um when you make your character they have a, a large selection of avatars you can choose from and you can look at some of the masculine or feminine or i i like gender neutral avatars i think is how they're kind of categorized and some of them overlap which is also neat to know that they don't necessarily think that like some of these avatars only fit into one box mm-hmm. um and then they let you choose your preferred pronoun between uh, he or she or they. And I thought all of this was really neat and inclusive and progressive because like, it doesn't have any effect on the gameplay whatsoever. It's just kind of a way to help the person who's playing connect with uh, the mech pilot that they're creating for this story to play out. And then when I got on the internet to learn more about the lore of Battletech, I entered a realm of hate where there were so many people who were just like, oh, I don't want to play this this sci-fi SJW game where you can be a they. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? I don't want to be here. Yeah. I just, I didn't understand why people were so upset about just the inclusion of like an option for, mm-hmm. for people. I mean, I think that's because it is a queer option, you know? It, it sort of like goes outside of like what they, you know, very stubbornly believe is right and wrong, you know? Right. Um, and queerness is kind of uncomfortable and upsetting <laughs> all the time. It sort of like needs to be by like the nature of like exploring the 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 mess in between what is understandable. Um, and so it it's really, I guess interesting to see the, the really explicitly angry response. And like it's also kind of sad because, you know, like them, being upset about a game, you know, might alienate people within their own communities. Um, but it also, you know, might kind of allow other people who do care about representation to be like, oh, people are upset about this. Like, oh, I want to go and support this particular game and what they're doing because I like that. Mm-hmm. One game, which I have not played, but um, when I was talking to other people about, you know, games that they thought were queer, um, was missed um i guess my understanding is that it's very sort of like exploration heavy and there are puzzles and you're just sort of like dropped into this world 
where you like don't really know what's going on and you just kind of have to figure it out um and I guess like that kind of experience of like you kind of not knowing what you're supposed to be doing and it's just kind of like a oh god like just run around and, and get it wrong multiple times and like get it wrong over and over and over again I thought well at least like they were saying that it was um it was a pretty queer experience um but still very meaningful still relatable um what you were saying Travis with like the avatars you know like having multiple <clears throat> gender or I guess yeah gender options um because it's really cool when I guess games will allow for the sort of like flexibility and character I remember I was playing some Pokemon game and I had short hair at the time and I chose the avatar with short hair and turns out it was a boy and I was just like I don't want to play as a boy so I had to go back and restart um and I just like was well, I was I was way more upset than I needed to be because <laughs> I I just wanted to have the avatar with short hair, um, but you know, I I think I chose like long hot pink hair instead. You know, also fun. Any other games that you can think of that sort of like allow for a queer experience as it relates to like the player? Or like a queer embodiment. I don't know if I'm making things more complicated or not. Well, I feel like part of queerness is like l looking at some of the things that are considered the norm and saying, I don't like this. I'm going to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. And that usually makes me think of like mods and how certain games like the Elder Scrolls games always had a, like a, a really big and flourishing modding community mm -hmm. where people make things that are meant to be either improvements to the game um or like ways to play the game differently mm -hmm. um people have done all sorts of wacky and like lore breaking stuff like adding new races or adding new types of of funny anime hair or <laughs> houses to live in or whatever they want to do mm -hmm. um and that aspect of, of it, it has, has always felt very very queer to me and very anti-establishment almost although these are also games that support modding Mm -hmm. To the point where Skyrim even tried to launch like a like a community marketplace or something where people would pay for mods and that was all sorts of of a mess. So I'm not sure. I guess since this whole thing is all very abstract, I, I imagine it connects at certain points and doesn't connect at others if we're uh -huh. talking about Elder modding in the Elder Scrolls. But um, that part of it has always felt very easy to uh, extrapolate. Yeah, I was just kind topic. of like thinking about like system, like games. Like, I know I've never played Mass Effect, but people were also mentioning that. We're just like, oh, you can explore queer relationships. But what you were saying about mods, I think kind of really, I don't know, blends in nicely to my last area of discussion that I wanted to talk about how we can make our games even gayer um, and how we push the boundaries of the games that we enjoy and how we play them. So I guess like two main things that I thought were really, really obvious here are like mods and, and then house rules for, um, I guess, board games or tabletop RPGs. You know, like you were saying, Travis, with mods, you can go in and literally change how the game is and add in whatever you want. Same with like house rules. It's like you decide like, oh, I don't want to, you know, have that rule. Like I think with like Monopoly, I don't think anyone plays the where you, the game where you like auction off every single property that you land on. Because um, I, I remember when I was like a kid, like I didn't even know that that was how you were supposed to play it because it was just such a 
way that you played the game, I guess I thought. Um, I understand that there's a lot of discourse online lately about the house rules for Uno. Really? Yeah, like, I guess even the Uno Twitter account got in on it, and then pretty much everyone was like, what? The Uno Twitter account is wrong. This isn't how you play Uno. I was talking to some other people about this, and I got some pushback from um, other queer individuals who were like, oh, I don't think that house rules are inherently queer because you can use them to sort of um, push along ideas that are not, I guess, progressive. Um, I was just kind of like imagining, um, I know in like the the sims there's like prostitution mods that you can like add on and and it's all and it's not like you know a positive look on sex work it's all very violent and um patriarchal and aggressive but um i think that that i mean that's still an example of of queerness like like i was saying like earlier like you can be two things like you can cause harm and also still be queer at the same time um i think that there's like plenty of examples of of you know queer people on on dating apps that are like oh yeah no no fat people no particular like no no black people or like no Asians and like those are still very like hurtful um, violent things that you are you know putting on your grinder account but um, you know they're still being I guess like queer in their own way. Um, My problem with house rules is a lot of times. It, it, it disregards other systems and then just leads to an unbalanced nightmare. I guess if a friend is hosting D&D, he'll have his house rules and we'll play by those. Mm-hmm. But if I'm playing a game or something, usually I don't like to do that because I think it ruins the coherent experience. Or at least alters it in a way that might not be very good for the rest of the, uh, rest of the game. Like if they declare rules? Who declares rules? The 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 dungeon master well if he if he if he in the way he wants to be playing it whatever edition he wants to play and if he has specific house rules that he'll play by oh i'll I'll absolutely follow those okay i understand but if if i'm going to be playing something if, if it's me in charge usually i will follow the rules what when when games are not balanced like how is that uncomfortable for you? Like what, why, um, you, you described it as like a mess earlier and I just kind of wanted to hear what, what more you had to say about that. Okay. Well, uh, if a, well, uh, if a game is unbalanced, you mean like that's the way it is, it's supposed to be unbalanced. No, well, I was I wondering like, what you meant by unbalanced will when you said you didn't. Eat. Oh, what I mean by balance is with systems. A lot of times they'll play into one another. And a lot of times I'm very skeptical of oh, house rules because they will tweak that dynamic. Some house rules play into that, and some of them heighten elements of that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times they'll heighten elements and then subtr- and take away from other parts. And th- there's nothing wrong with that. Like, there's nothing at all wrong with that. I think good house rules are fun. I just don't usually play with them. Because I like to try and keep these systems the way they were written out. Even if, oh, they, were written out, okay. if they were written out to be unbalanced or in some sort of way, which right. then I guess if they're written out that way, maybe they aren't really unbalanced. But yeah, I, I just like to... I'm very worried about screwing up a system by making a change. Because you, because like when you do screw it up, that's that, I guess, like what are the consequences? Oh, uh, probably features of the bad, game don't function right. Bad dungeon master. And it gets very boring. Everyone will shame you. Or you reach an <laughs> impasse and it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't want to, 
I'd rather have a lot of fun and make sure that all these elements work. That each part of the game that was created, you know, kind of can serve a serve some sort of a part into the game. Other queer ways to play games are to, you know, I guess like play across what I was kind of imagining as like the the gender spectrum of, of, of games. And just like if you want to have like a queer experience, like make sure you're doing, you know, like make sure you're playing like some more like sandboxy games, which I, I feel like are generally feel more gendered as, as, as feminine because like there are like there's more exploration it's less like outcome oriented which i feel like those are much more masculine and then just sort of like playing across like different um systems like whether you're playing like on a on a on a computer or on like a handheld device or on your game boy or your ds or whatever they're called now um because I feel like, you know, I was talking to other people about this and they were just like, oh, I don't really know if I consider myself a gamer because I only ever really play like on like my I only ever played Wii and I only ever really play phone games. And I was like, well, those are still games and you can still like have participate in 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 gaming with those games. Like, I guess I was I went on to ask like why they didn't feel like those were real games. And it was because they weren't, you know, like Call of Duty or um overwatch or something that's like really kind of very i don't i don't really know like i guess is is more more of a real game than than i guess playing mini metro on your on your cell phone huh never heard that before mini metro no that like <laughs> like I've, i guess i've known it's kind of existed like calling people who play certain games not gamers Mm-hmm. but yeah i don't know it's very odd because yeah, I would just, if it's a game, you're playing a game, you're a gamer. <laughs> I don't really get that, but all right. Mm-hmm. Do you have any like other like favorite games like across the the gender game spectrum? And like, I guess like why do you particularly like maybe more masculine type games or more feminine type games? Because like I remember we were talking earlier about like the kinds of games that we like, and you both kind of mentioned like more exploration type games like i also are we talking about like masculine these. games like call of duty versus feminine games like yeah i, I could you redefine I, these again because i i'm, I'm like stuck in this what was it, what like, was it strictly, I was, I'm, I'm stuck in a strongly like oh, it's called Idol, i've been playing this game called idle garden where it's it's a pretend <laughs> idol game it doesn't have any microtransactions you just kind of you tap on flowers and then you leave and you come back and and then it then stuff is upgraded and it's like there's uh-huh. no action it's like a it's like a self parody of of idle games mm-hmm. but it's also played somewhat straight although they're just they're not trying to get money out of you yeah i think that would be a, a pretty feminine or a very queer game actually that it's sort of like a parody of of idle games and um that's pretty cool. Yeah, I was kind of like imagining sort of like maybe like first person shooters as like the like the most masculine kind of games. And then something is that's that like a little bit more. Most of the audience is masculine in those genres. No, I think just sort of like the I guess I'm being very like outcome oriented, um, you know, focus on like on, on making progress in the game. Um, violent. So what's what would be an example of like a feminine game? Um, I was sort of like imagining like Cooking Mama was like a DS game when I was like a child. I remember my friend had it and I feel like that that seems like a very feminine game. Um, But I feel like also has very masculine elements where like there are things that like you need to Just picture like Overcooked, Will. (laughs) Oh. Or like a really absurd game. game. Okay. Okay. (laughs) No, I'm, I'm, I'm hooked on the... 
you said outcome oriented earlier. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm very confused as to what that means. Okay. I guess like achievement. Okay. Like the getting to like the next checkpoint or or you know, I guess like going through the grind to get to like a particular point. Travis, could you explain the overcooked example? No, I thought you oh. didn't know what cooking mama was. <laughs> no, I, I know what cooking mama is. Oh, okay. Think, well, never think mind. Think of overcooked. Then. And then I was like, oh, and then I started thinking about like outcomes and things. Oh, okay. I guess I was. See, when Rebecca said like the, the gendered spectrum of games, I just thought of kind of the stereotypical examples of like, like young boys want to play shooters. And there are games that seem to be catered more towards uh girls or feminine players mm-hmm. like the sims probably mm-hmm. kind of in a in a general sense not saying i like agree that the sims is a feminine game but that maybe that's kind of part of the, the audience that that game is marketed towards yeah as opposed to like call of duty for instance i guess yeah and like these aren't supposed to be like statements about like how like good a game is like they aren't like value statements and these are just sort of like ways in in sort of like imagining games and how yeah, i mean it's just of kind of an extension of, of like i guess what we would say is like traditional values right where like the men would go to war and the women would like sew and cook mm-hmm. and that's kind of where masculine and feminine stuff falls into place for me mm-hmm. when we talk about it in that sort of traditional sense and then it kind of extends to, to games and you can kind of break them down by genre yeah, I mean, I think so. Like, the, the it, it wasn't, I didn't really have, like, a, a real point. It was more just sort of like a, let's think about this for a while. Okay. And, like, maybe, like, why we like some games. Like, what about them are fun. If, like, we could, I guess, put together a game that was entirely your own and that you liked, like, what would it be? Like, what would that, what would it entail? Mech game. Could you ask the question again? I guess if you could create like your your like the game of your dreams, I guess like what would be in the game? Like what sort of like mechanics, what kinds of of gameplay would it include? Like would it be fantastical? Would it be very very real? Hmm. Would it be absurd? Would it be you know exploration heavy? Would it have you know more it would, sort of it would uh, it would be like I am with like I said earlier with board games and how I very much enjoy systems. Mm-hmm. Um, I would probably very much like another Crusader Kings mm-hmm. or something where there are vague systems in place and then it's uh, you, th- things just happen. I'm very, I've just very much enjoyed like even like looking at physics simulations because I'm very interested in like there are there are there are some ground rules or some sort of parameters that things generally follow mm-hmm. that i'm very curious to see how something goes from one end to another and maybe back again like how things because you can't dictate what it'll do or why it should do something it'll just make its choices mm-hmm. and i'm very interested in like crusader kings or mountain blade or just sandboxes i very much like as many systems as possible to allow for as much choice as possible i think for me a dream game would be something with Something like Crusader Kings or Mountain Blade, just with a lot of systems. What about you, Travis? Dark Souls, but you're in space. <laughs> you can go to you can go to thousands of planets, like in No Man's Sky, but you also have a mech, and your mech can turn into a spaceship. You use a spaceship to fly between the planets. There's a lot of enigmatic shit, 
and <laughs> and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of spooky and scary things because I like being frightened and I will I, like I say that but like when I'm being frightened I'm like <laughs> fuck I don't like this but I like um being challenged and being frightened and being able to explore a world with a sense of mystery that makes me keep wanting to explore it mm -hmm. where I can keep uncovering things about the world that make me not necessarily understand the world better but make me want to uncover even more so I can continue to not understand it better and then you just spiral until you don't know what's going on anymore I'm just describing Dark Souls right now I'm just <laughs> describing Dark Souls in space in space yeah with some of the outer wilds I guess I guess my favorite game would be probably Dungeons and Dragons but I feel like it, it has everything that I want and then I get to choose the players who I'm playing with and then usually just makes it really really great um, I guess if it were particular like stories that I would want to explore and like areas within sort of the D&D &D universe or multiverse I guess would be to be to have it be more in like the Feywild because I think that's so cool because I fucking love fairies you know all kind of like in your head and only the rules that you really want to play with and the rules that you want to enforce um and then you have like the freedom to make them as kind of like absurd and ridiculous as you want or like real and gritty and like do you want to have to you know count and keep track of, of resource management and stuff like that because like sometimes that's fun but sometimes it's not fun and you just want to be like i just want to fast travel um and get to wherever i need to go and like when you are kind of like playing or you're planning like as a as like a dungeon master you know, are you going to plan out a whole story or do you want to just like roll on the random encounter tables and then whatever happens, happens? Um, I think that's, I like being able to choose. The last thing that I wanted to talk about um, was, you know, like games and, you know, them being fun. And so like, I kind of wanted to, like, I was wondering like what sort of games that you've played that you still enjoy that are not fun. I think that's also like a very queer way of playing a game and you know like yes there is some you know you know developer choice in that like oh they 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 designed it this way for you to not really have that much fun but I, I still think that that is kind of like it goes against like kind of like what games are supposed to be and like why we play games for the most part I've mentioned it many times but I'm going back to it I don't play Crusader Kings 2 because I find it fun mm -hmm. there's nothing fun about my dwarf son getting stabbed in the back by his like fucked up cousin that's uh -huh. not fun me losing that game is not fun like but i i love losing i don't mm -hmm. think for me there's no better game that i've ever played to lose in because i love seeing these systems happen it's like i don't know i even like looking at the ledger in that game even though it's just like a game about spreadsheets with maps mm -hmm. i lo i love that i find it a great time killer it's not a game i can shut my mind off and just play mm -hmm. but i actively engage with it and i really love it but i don't play it because i find it fun i find it just i play it because i am very interested in seeing what what the next outcome of a system will be mm -hmm. what will the characters in that game do next 
I guess I enjoy that as well, although I feel like I don't like losing in Crusader Kings, though, because I feel like it's set up for you to, like, create this dynasty that lasts hundreds of years or whatever, and I never achieve anything <laughs> close to that, so I I just feel like I'm bad at the game sometimes. I think, I think with that game, it's really helpful to kind of get away from that, which, yeah, you're right, because it doesn't even have a... Um a score thing that compares you to historical dynasties that's true which i, which I usually skip past because yeah, I, yeah. I know nothing about the house of some yeah i don't give other. a shit about like, like how many points yeah. bartrand's yeah. house got for me i'm always just very interested to see like oh no i shouldn't have given i shouldn't have legitimized my bastard son and done this thing because then he <laughs> betrayed this person and it's like something i learned from but it's also like a little bit of a story there and i mm -hmm. really like that it's like last time on crusader kings 2 it's just like each play session is like a different season of crusader kings 2 uh -huh. that's why I, that's why i like to play with iron man because i like to have my actions have consequences and i don't want to be yeah. able to reload an older save the only time that is a bad thing is if you literally like misclick something and fuck up yeah. your entire country but like i i a long time ago i had played a game of crusader kings where I had I had made an I had created an empire like an empire rank title and I had like four kings underneath me but I had almost no power and it was just this this very uh kind of shaky empire where I just had my emperors or empresses kind of play the other kings against one another so I could remain in power and then many like I don't know like 130 something years later I had a string of bad events, and then I had a incapable ruler who had uh, some disabilities, and people were not a big fan of them. Um, and then they had come out as homosexual, and that was just like the thing that broke the camel's back, because then the Pope was like, fuck that. And then the Empire came collapsing down, and I my dynasty was killed off. And it's like, that was hours of hard work, but I was, if this makes any sense, I was so happy. Mm -hmm. like not like oh yes i lost but more like oh wow that sucked but also like oh, that was really neat wow what a story i really like that mm -hmm. i won't forget this do you sort of like create events in your head as to like oh like what happened like what's going like sort of like fill out just like the the little points along the way when you play yeah like oh somebody is and like there's there's character traits in that game that define how they'll kind of act and then mm -hmm. there's relations between characters that define that further but like oh this lord is ambitious and he keeps wanting more land in my head i will flesh that out now i won't like give more than is already there but i will provide a little more detail into this guy mm -hmm. and i i find that a lot of fun that's why like i mean that game has so many dlcs but i really like the ones that add more character interactions because I feel that really fleshes out the stories that are there mm -hmm. and adds all new opportunities. What about you, Very Travis? Cool. I didn't... Uh, wait, what does enjoy mean? That you get a, like, a sort of a sense of satisfaction. You well, go Dark back Souls. To... I didn't have any fun playing Dark Souls. I was like, I'm terrible <laughs> at this game. I, was, I, kept, I died like probably hundreds or maybe a thousand times. But then when I was done, I just felt like this sense of immense satisfaction that I was able to like somehow crawl my way through this game i don't know i was satisfied enough that i started a new game plus i guess i don't i don't know that one's tough for me to break down 
because I think that's a lot of people's example as mm-hmm. well. Like a lot of people, I think, share this idea of I didn't like playing Dark Souls, but I liked being able to. I don't. I don't think it's like a. I don't think it's like a bragging rights thing either, because I don't like run around proclaiming that I beat Dark Souls. It's just like an internal satisfaction knowing like within the larger communities of dark souls that so many people struggle with this game and knowing for myself that i was able to like get through it and get to the end um i guess what about the game made it so challenging the uh animations are very clunky and it's a game about animation timing Mm-hmm. And so when those things go together, like, I feel like Dark Souls is a game that is designed terribly. Like, is that fair? Sure. Uh, yeah, I sure? I don't know. Like, I just hate the way it's designed. I hate the way combat works in that game. And I think that oh, makes most of the challenge for me. Because I really love the combat in the game, but that is also where I get the most challenge for, for, <laughs> for me, like, that's where I get my ass kicked, and that's where like all of my frustration comes from. But I love it. Yeah, I is think. It... I mean, oh, sorry. What were you saying? Oh, I was just gonna ask if it was like intentionally challenging. Or if that's oh, just was... like the like it just happened that way. I don't know. I've never played so. I feel like they made that game to make everybody regret buying the game. But like, well, I don't even know if I want to say that though, because there's something to me at least somewhat addicting about it like that challenge like i think travis is right like well rebecca even if you haven't played dark souls have you you, have you played or do you understand flappy bird yes because i feel like those those are almost identical games Mm -hmm. yeah um it's just this sense of like a very simple mechanical system that is not really built for success and Mm -hmm. there's like a there's like slim windows where you can succeed Mm-hmm. And part of it is about like perseverance and part of it is about learning and part of it is about accepting that the game is built in a way where you're not expected to succeed very often. That sounds like a very, very queer game. Travis, what about a game like uh, Dungeon Lords? Dungeon Lords. <laughs> that, game, that game, I despise almost everything about that game, but I've bought multiple copies and we keep trying to play through it. Is that the one yeah. that's like broken broken, (laughs) it it ain't like it fundamentally in like every way (laughs) does not work and it's been re-released multiple times and yet i don't know my memories of dungeon lords yeah the events and the gameplay are there but most of it is the fact that travis and i are able to talk about these things and are befuddled by the same absurdities Mm -hmm. like that's a game that i don't i don't have like a lot of fun playing but i enjoy it I enjoy the, I, well, I think the only reason that we've continued to attempt to play it is a sense of unfinished business. <laughs> yeah, it's like it insulted us, and we just... <laughs> it, right. Like, like, we, there's... It spat in our face. It said, you can go no further. Yeah, it, like, bugged out one of a million times, <laughs> but it was a bug that prevented us from beating the game. And in maybe another game, and there have been games we've played where we just never finish it. But for some reason, Dungeon Lords, it like, I don't know, it like keeps me awake at night. But if There's... this had happened to me, what I was, if I had been playing like a single player playthrough, I don't know if I would feel like I have enough incentive to, to, to have it like 
kind of how we have it right now where it's kind of on like like a bucket list of sorts where we're both of us have this background sense of we need to one of these days get through dungeon lords and i don't know if i would have that same feeling if 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 like there it wasn't for the like social aspect of it between yeah. us where we can play the game together and complain about it while we play because if i were just playing that alone i don't I think could... i'd have any fun at all yeah i think as a single player thing yeah i can think of plenty of games that are single player that i've touched on but never gone further in and yeah with dungeon lords like i had said earlier it's not like the game that is like oh it's that's deep in my memory it's the moments of just you and i going what like the camaraderie yeah the camaraderie it's like maybe you're on a phone call and you walk around the room Mm -hmm. just to pace i do that i feel like dungeon lords is a way to talk and just do things that also sounds like a very queer game hell yeah hell yeah what's our end state in this topic um, that was just kind of like the last topic that I had. I hadn't really thought of like any ways to it wrap ends up. On hell, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have, it was a question I brought up er, during, um, about the whole masculine games and feminine games. Mm-hmm. And then Call of Duty was a masculine game. Like mm-hmm. I've never really thought about games as like being gendered. So I was, when you said, oh, okay, Call of Duty, masculine game. And I was like, okay, you shoot things. I guess we're going with that. Like mascot, and they said like outcome oriented, and I said okay, cool. I've got something a little more specific. And then for feminine games, you did Cooking Llama. <laughs> I just want to know why, because I feel I, okay. Call of Duty outcome oriented. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can vaguely put that somewhere and use that as a point of reference. So what is Cooking Mama? It is what oriented. Well, I mean, I was to... just thinking like who it's sort of like audience is geared towards, like various like color scheme, um, cart like animations um i feel like another sort of more feminine game would be like more sandboxy type games um like the sims okay okay if you, you know are, are thinking of of something that doesn't look nearly as ridiculous as, as cooking mama or is you know the exact opposite of outcome oriented you know you're okay, just kind of yeah. like you have your family and you get to do whatever and okay, there's yeah. some weird magic that happens sometimes too okay that's that's what i needed Okay. Something like okay, because then just now you said Cooking Mama, like it's visually this, and I was like, no, that's not that's that's not what I I don't care about that. (laughs) (laughs) That that is not even that's not outcome oriented like the Call of Duty thing. I yeah, I needed something like Call of Duty outcome, and then Cooking Mama is like the process. Not not even that because that I guess that makes me think of like it's a process to something. It's the being, Mm -hmm. the doing. Okay, okay, that helps me a lot. Cool. I guess like the summary of the well, like kind of like what did I what I wanted to get at was just like the argument that like games are gay and like how are they gay why are they gay what do we get out of them that is queer um what how can we sort of see the queerness and sort of like if we want to explore additional ways to make games queer like what are, what are ways that we can do that but it was mostly just kind of like I wanted to discuss this and I didn't really have a point because I, I generally don't. I get just like thinking about things like this. Um, but if you still are confused or have any questions, I would love to hear them. I feel hmm, let me put it. I feel like I'm a freshman at college and I stumbled into a 400 level class. <laughs> I mean, you kind of like did. I, I, like I, I caught a glance of the completed puzzle, but I've got 12,000 pieces. Yeah. Like, yeah, that, that's how I feel. Fair. But I, I, it's better than it was earlier. I've put, I've put some together. What about you, Travis? I, I'm in the same boat 
Okay. I was kind of afraid of that, and I hope I did an all right job um, trying maybe we're, to... Maybe we're just really bad students. <laughs> maybe I'm just a really bad teacher, too. Is this being graded on a curve? Um, <laughs> yes, because that's gay as fuck. Okay, well, I think we are going to go take a break now, and when we come back, we will look at the days of E3. And we're back to talk about the upcoming E3 conference and what we're excited for at said conference called yes. E3. Um, before we went to the break, I remarked that we did games we've been playing and I brought Ashen and then we forgot to do the other games we've been playing. Oh, yeah. I don't have a lot to say about Dungeons and Dragons, but we did play this week and it was mostly just a sort of like housekeeping episode. We were just like, okay, so we're starting a new arc <laughs> that's, later. That's, that's a very funny concept to hear. <laughs> is this like a bottle episode of television? Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, <laughs> okay, interesting. Um, where we were just like, okay, so we like lost some players, like what do we want? Like expectations for the next arc. They picked out magic items that they wanted to see come up. Um, which I'm really excited about. They're all really cool. And I will probably give them all of them because they weren't, you know, no one picked like a legendary item. So that's good. Um, and they, also it was fun that they picked magic items that went along like perfectly with their characters. They they weren't just like trying to get like the most OP item. Um, they kind of like some of them picked like more pointless items just because they were like, oh, my character would really, really, really like this. Our paladin got um like a bag of beans or wanted to get a bag of beans <laughs> i'm saying that's a good item yes and yeah let me just like pull up what a bag of beans are but like you know it has the description like inside this heavy cloth bag are 3d4 you know 3d4 dice dry beans and has like the details about what the bag weighs um and then you just sort of like plant them or use them and you roll on a d100 and you sort of like decides like what happens whether like toadstools will sprout a geyser will erupt if like treants will appear um just kind of like random shit happens and i just like something could totally go wrong here and it could just like fuck them up but it would have been it would it would be hilarious because you know it's all decided by the dice and so i'm just excited for you know a good old bag of beans. I have been going back to the uh, a European RPG from last year called Kingdom Come Deliverance. Uh, I played many hours into it, and then I just took a break for a year. So I need to get back in and finishing it, and I'm pretty near the end. Classic Euro jank. It's cool, but it's pretty broken. I like it. That's about all. Cool. Uh, so, 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 okay. Um, this will go up tomorrow, and tomorrow is the first day of real E3, tech technically E3, although there have been a lot of pre E3 and near E3 announcements from people who are not participating in E3, like EA. I almost mixed those up just now. I'm <laughs> glad I didn't. But I see. I don't want to. I don't want to spend too much time like delving into 
E3 before E3, especially since this is going up tomorrow morning, and E3 will be that afternoon. Um, so I don't know that there's too much point in like trying to pick it apart or anything. We'll certainly do our post E3 podcast next week and and talk about all the exciting announcements after we've actually seen them. But I do want to quickly just look over what the the main uh, presentations are going to be between uh, now and Tuesday, and just briefly kind of talk about what we're looking forward to see, or maybe if anyone has any wild predictions that they'd like to declare so that later they can proclaim that they were correct or suffer the shame of being incorrect. Um, this would be the time to do that, I guess. Um, and so I guess I have a list pulled up here. Uh, Microsoft's conference this afternoon at 1 p.m. Um, I expect we're going to see Halo. Um, yeah. Like anyone could be at this because like any game can be on xbox so cyberpunk can be here um we'll probably see more gears of war i i know a lot of people are going to be interested to see what announcements they have for game pass and what announcements they have for next gen of xbox i'm expecting that if they do announce a console or maybe hint at one i'm expecting them to show off a lot of first party or like maybe second party games didn't they say they were making 14 games Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Well, there we go. I would expect them to do that if they're that way they can start showing off games and tease a console. That way people can start thinking about like maybe the next gen of console will launch with these games or these games will be and they probably are cross generational. Like do they just need to start driving up interest in future games and future tech. So yeah, I guess we're gonna see a lot of new games shown off mm-hmm. or teased and a tease of a new console. If not, like, a full, like, showing of it. Later at 5.30 p.m. is the Bethesda conference, and in the past, I've always been interested to see what Bethesda has to show, but this year I'm not as interested because they've really, the like, the Bethesda games that I'm looking forward to are Elder Scrolls Six and Starfield, and they said that they're not going to show these this year because they're, like, not ready yet or whatever, so I guess people are excited about Doom Eternal, and I don't, I don't know what else to expect. I hope maybe we'll see another Dishonored. Okay. Something tells me we might not, but we probably won't, but I, I'd, I'd like another Dishonored. Ubisoft will show on Monday at 1 p.m. I don't believe we'll see Assassin's Creed. Uh, we'll definitely see Watch Dogs 3, mm-hmm. and we'll probably see some more Ghost Recon stuff. I think, yeah, that's pretty certain. Um, we'll probably, there's a rumor circulating that we'll probably see some sort of Mario versus Rabbids sequel. Um... But other than that, I like I don't know. Ubisoft has these big franchises like Far Cry and like they don't usually do anything that like gets me really hyped. So it's just kind of I'll be interested to see if they have anything anything neat to show off or any new IPs or anything. I mean, that applies to all of these show, uh conferences. We can speculate on the franchises we have knowledge of, but like I'm sure some of these people will be introducing new games, or at least I would hope because I love seeing new IPs and stuff. So Square Enix, uh, 6 p.m. Monday, will do uh, their conference, and they will show us their Avengers game. And uh, titling on that, to me, suggests, as Marvel's The Avengers, this suggests to me that this will be in the same continuity, story-wise, as as Insomniac's uh, Marvel's Spider-Man. And I hope that's the case, because Marvel's Spider-Man is a fantastic game. Even if it's not, I mean, I would imagine that there are a lot of people who have had their hands on 
an Avengers game with it being such a such a big property, and I would hope that that would mean there would be a lot of polish, and that this would be a very enjoyable game to play. Um, I hope it's on many different platforms, but something tells me this seems like the type of game that would be a PS4, PS5 <laughs> exclusive. So I guess we'll see. Um, and then I would expect to see more about Final Fantasy VII. Which is a funny thing to say in 2019. You're right. <laughs> and then uh, Tuesday, we'll we'll see the Nintendo conference. Um, I'm waiting to see if they will announce anything hardware-related at all, because the rumors have flip-flopped on that over the past six months so hard. <laughs> I saw a bunch of really enticing Nintendo Switch deals today, where they were going for like 250 and I was like, hmm, hmm that's, that's very tempting, but also like... E3 is tomorrow, so, like, do, do, I don't know, do the sellers have, like, inside knowledge of something? Like, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a hardware announcement, but I also wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't, because they've said there wasn't wasn't going to be one, so. I hope they announce Dungeon Lords for the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at this rate, I, I genuinely wouldn't be surprised. Do you think we'll see Mountain Blade Banner Lord? No. <laughs> I believe they explicitly stated on their forums that they wouldn't be going to E3. They only did that to trick us. <laughs> hey, I wish. It was, I wish. Pub- it was for publicity. All just PR. Since Caleb isn't here, I, ha- I asked him if he had any predictions he wanted us to pass along. And I thought he would send us like a few things, but he sent me like a five paragraph like <laughs> list of... So I feel like I should just like... Here, let's just look at... Okay, so he... <laughs> We're gonna see. He thinks we're gonna see Witcher three for Switch. I've heard rumors of that. Arkham games for Switch. Uh, Metroid. Oh. I, I, I want them to announce a Metroid uh, trilogy remaster for Switch. Luigi's. He okay. I'm just reading what he wrote verbatim. Luigi's goddamn mansion three. I don't think that they'd call it that. Uh, <laughs> Smash characters. I have no idea. Steve from Minecraft. Uh, he thinks they're going to tease a new Splinter Cell game. That's a bold statement. He thinks they're going to tease the ne- next Assassin's Creed game. I wouldn't be surprised, but they're only going to tease it. Like, they're not going to show us any gameplay or anything. It'll probably be like a Bethesda-style tease. Especially since it's already been leaked a little bit. Um, he thinks we're going to see some Cyberpunk. Uh, get a release date. See some more gameplay. Get some more Halo details. Uh, ooh, he thinks we're going to see Bioshock 4? Really? Hmm. Interesting. It is about time, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I'd say so. I've just, yeah, I, I hadn't even come into my mind. Maybe yeah. that's the perfect time to show it when, when we're not expecting. See a Wolfenstein sp- spinoff teaser? Does he is mean a already, new spinoff, or does he mean like we're already? just going to see a teaser for one of the spinoffs? I have no clue. Because there's, there's Wolfenstein, young, is it called Youngbloods? Yes. The co-op one, and then there's a Wolfenstein VR mech game. Yes, and I don't... Those come out very soon, though. I don't... Maybe maybe a small teaser just to drum up some more interest in them since they're coming out very soon. Um, And then the last thing you wrote was a Psychonauts 2 release date. Well, I'm expecting to see uh, maybe something on that From Software game that George R. R. Martin is apparently working with. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What is it called? Big Ring? Elden Elden Rings. Rings. Yeah. 
I, I would very much like to know what it'll be like. I'd like to see what kind of game it is. Something tells me it'll be another one of their... It'll be in that same vein of their, their fantasy combat games like Dark Souls or Sekiro. I'll be mad, though, if they, like... If they hype up the, like, George R. R. Martin involvement, but then don't go into any specifics about it. Yeah. Because I'll feel like... Then, then they're just trying to lampshade us into buying, like... I, I'll, I'll feel like they're trying to build off, like, the George R. R. Martin name without actually having any sort of like involvement from him other than like maybe they paid him to get his name on it or something <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, if we, but if we get to learn some details and it sounds like he's like actually really been heavily involved in the the writing process or or world building or whatever then then then, then i'll buy into the hype yeah then it would be really exciting yeah i mean i'll, I'll i'd like to pick it up like I, I i just need to pick up sekiro as well i i mean I'll pick up this game regardless, prob- probably. Mm-hmm. But if they do announce that we play as George R. R. Martin, I'm absolutely <laughs> getting it. Yeah, maybe his involvement is kind of more in the vein of Kojima, where he's been scanned into the game. He's one of the bosses. He's in like a full set of plate armor, and he's like three times his regular size. Oh, shit. <laughs> Jesus. Sounds like a Dark Souls boss. Uh, yeah. Not a main character. Damn. <laughs> Oh, you said play as him. Okay, I was thinking. Oh yeah, more no, like... we we play as Martin. Mm, okay, and I hope they make the they just ramp up their difficulty that they're known for and make the final boss Big Martin. <laughs> and if you beat him, you get a, you get a um, the first two chapters of Winds of Winter. Oh, <laughs> oh, that immediately that guarantees that people who already buy from software games will buy it anyway because that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And then all the people who are waiting for the next book of Martin's. We'll pick it up as well. Damn, this is this so, man. You should join their marketing team. Yeah, I should. Yeah, I really should. Although I did hear that it's the the next one is supposed to come out in about a year, but we've also been hearing that since like literally twenty fucking fourteen. So, or even I'm sure like before that. Maybe if you pre-order, you'll get a copy of Winds of Winter as a PDF. <laughs> You'll get it for your Maybe you can find an exclusive. You can find an exclusive in-game item, and it's just the winds of winter. But it's an the item book. description is the winds of winter. <laughs> it goes on for like a thousand pages. Oh my gosh! I hope people find out that in the game's soundtrack, if you remove like if you if, if you isolate like the low end, you can hear Martin reading out the winds <laughs> reading of winter, it. and then that'll drive up sales of their soundtrack. Yes. <laughs> well, all right. One of these things has to be true. You're right. Yes. We've said enough so, things that one yeah, of them has to come true. One of them has to be true. So we said it here first. And we were right. So I can gloat right now about how right we were. Yes. But yeah. Um, I would like to see more of Baldur's Gate 3. I, I, we won't. I'm 100% certain we won't because mm-hmm. they just like did that teaser announcement. Yeah, I would think that's the thing. Like, there it is. Yeah, th- that would be that big thing. And then we'll see more about it later in the year. I'm really looking forward online to seeing people complain about the fact that it's not based on second edition Dungeons and Dragons, like one and two were. I mean, I don't know, because I feel like fifth edition has been the most popular that has ever been. So Yeah, but what I'm getting at is like it's the third in the series, but it'll be oh. on the different rule set. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if there will be any longtime fans from like twenty years ago who will creak out of the woodwork and be like, They've destroyed it. I'm sure, because I feel like there is a certain amount of like entitled 
Only real gamers play with the second edition. Who play a lot of tabletop role-playing games? What um, systems are you? Would you be able to recognize between the second edition in Baldur's Gate one and two, and five e and three? I mean, I've only played three, five, and five, so I don't know. But um, I know, like fifth edition compared to all the other editions, is like the game. the The, the rules are just so much more streamlined. There are fewer sort of like conditions and mechanics it's all just kind of like up to interpretation and however how like if you can be as like gritty and nitpicky as you want to be but that's not how the game just is naturally okay There's yeah i've only ever played 3.5 i and i even then didn't really get the rules very well yeah but and I've regardless played... I'll, I'll play boulder skate 3 mm-hmm I've played three five many times and I still don't get the rules. I feel like I'm we always just be like, oh it's whatever and then like our, our DM <laughs> will be like, Yeah, that's fine and I'm just like, Okay, great. Lovely. Just making it up as we go along. Can I do this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yep. Yep. You can do that, but like this thing happens instead. And I'm like, Okay, great, I'll do that still. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it for our E three speculation conversation. But that's not it for the Hit Point Pals. Because right now, we are watching all of the Star Wars movies, starting with the most critically acclaimed Episode 1. <laughs> We're going to be hosting podcast specials, one devoted to each of the movies. Uh, when will these be? I, Travis? We're going to record on Monday, right? Is it so, good yeah. for everyone still? Mm-hmm. And then um, it will probably be out that week, and I've been... Uh, feel free to weigh in, but I, I've been trying to, I, I've been trying to determine whether it'd be best to just upload these in a regular Hit Point Pals feed or to create a separate feed. Um, and so if we go, if we make a separate feed, then, uh, on, on our next Hit Point Pals episode, we'll just, we'll, we'll be able to mention that and say, like, check out our other podcast, Star Wars Rewatch. Um, but I'm just, I, I have, like, pros and cons for each, and so I haven't really determined what the best course of action is yet uh like one of my thoughts was like if we had a separate feed that was called just stars rewatch that would potentially like pro- probably draw more attention from people who are looking for like star wars centric content whereas they'd be less likely to find it if it's in the hit point pals feed but also like uh-huh. the main pro of the hit point pals feed is that it's already there and these would just continue these would just show up in it but then a con of that is like if people are only listening to Hit Point Pals for video game related stuff, then maybe they wouldn't want these things in their feed. So I just keep going back and forth in my head. I'll probably make it a separate feed. So cool. when we have that up, we'll we'll just we'll we'll let everyone know and we'll say to go check out uh, Star Wars Rewatch and we'll link to it on on Twitter and on our website and on our MySpace account. Yes. What about our friendster? And our friend, what is that? <laughs> I have no idea. I oh, you just social... made it up? No, it's a social network. Oh. I know because my mom and some other Filipino relatives used it like nine years ago. And I thought it had a very funny Friendster. name. Friendster. Whoa. Living think, the I game. Friendster is taking a break. Oh, no. Yeah, I think it's about... Oh, living the game. Interesting. It was uh, Friendster was a social gaming site based in Kuala Lumpur. Huh. Cool. Social... Oh, it was originally a social networking service. That's that's when I knew of it. 
That's all for this week. We will be back in the next week. <laughs> I'm sorry. There we in go. In the next week. <laughs> in the next week. Thank you for joining us this week on Hit Point Pals. You can find all of our episodes on the web at hitpointpals.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash hitpointpals. Drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're enjoying our weekly chats, give us a shout out. Let your friends know. Hit Point Pals is a collaboration between me, William Suit, Rebecca Markley, Caleb Warwick, and Travis Lean, who also edits and mixes the show. very mentally drained from trying to understand a lot of the yeah it's a very, very long lecture it, too it was very interesting like yeah I, I i thought it was very interesting i'm not saying it wasn't interesting it was just, i just i feel yeah, like there I, were didn't, I feel to... like i didn't grasp as much as rebecca wanted me to no oh i, I feel that as well but there were not at all there were moments where i was just like all right i had i had like my mic muted and i was just like writing some things down to try and help me like put stuff <laughs> together and then it would go what about you will and it's like hey <laughs> hey, I'm trying to stay afloat right now. Hey, hey, come hey, on. Hey, prof. I didn't have my hand raised. There's no need to do this. I had to like explain this to Cam several, several times, and I don't think he fully understands it either. So don't even worry. Um, I think a lot of times when we brought in examples, I would go aha, and then there'd be another example, and I'd go ah. Yeah, like <laughs> I said, I I like there just. In topics throughout high school and college that never really clicked for me, I think one of the main problems was that there weren't enough concrete examples being given to me, because that's kind of how I am able to understand things. I don't know mm -hmm. if that's unique to me, or I'm sure there's a lot of people who mm -hmm. have that same sort of... And I was really, I thought a lot about, like, saying, like, ethos, because I was like, do people know what that is? Do that's what you care? drink in Dark Souls, right? <laughs> You got the three drinks, Logos, Ethos, Logos, Estes, and Pathos. This has been very cool. Yeah. I, I was, I'm very intellectually, I'm mentally drained right now. <laughs> this is, this was very, very neat. Good, I'm glad. I am, on the other hand, am just so invigorated. Because uh, I think this stuff is so much fun. But I would really love to do, like, if we all played a game. Let's all play Crusader Kings. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm or RimWorld. Or Rimworld, yeah. Hell yeah. Hell, oh yeah, and uh, Travis and I have a lot of the DLCs, so we'd get a... Oh yeah. Play. Oh hell yeah. For, if, for, if you don't know, Rebecca, in Crusader, uh, Kings. In Crusader oh, Kings and many other Paradox games, if the host has DLC, then anyone who's joining it gets that DLC oh. in, in the game with them as well. The only thing you'll miss out on is like, if you don't have the music or you don't have like... Right, the, right. I don't oh. want to say this, the the ethnic packs what on earth yeah. did they call them like no that's what they're called ethnic unit packs okay all right yeah you'll miss out the graphical stuff but the mechanics and things will all be there
that's one thing like man yeah, like crusader kings 2 it, it's always just been goofy to me that like they have to release packs for like people from like iberia people in the mediterranean people well they don't like, have to but they do to like visually like represent those people from those regions so you can kind of so it's it's a world with more unique looking individuals I remember my initial understandings of, or lack of understandings of CK2 when we would have played together, and I would ask, somewhat facetiously, but I would ask, like, ridiculous questions like, I've got an army here, it's like a thousand guys, why is this guy over here so fucking big? Why is he just standing on the, on the, <laughs> like, there were things like that that were just so abstract to me, I was like, well, I don't know what's going on in this fucking game. <laughs> yeah. I felt the same way, too. I think that, yeah, that's just with every Paradox game, it's like, you start it up and you're like, why? Why? <laughs> why? Why is this the way it is? I was told that I would really enjoy Stellaris, so I bought Stellaris when it was on sale like a couple of years ago, and I started playing it, and I was just like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I feel like there were just like things that were happening that I was just like, oh god, no, and so I haven't really played <laughs> more of it because I was just like, this is too overwhelming. Oh yeah, I I really <laughs> like Stellaris. <laughs> As good as Crusader Kings 2 and its systems are, there are still, like, little things that are just very funny to me that get through. Like, sir, even though there are 30 people with you in this plot, it is impossible for us to kill this person. <laughs> Why? This two-year-old is just too good. And it's like, <laughs> I, I, I have to abstract it in my head and say, okay, the kid's under the protection of the realm spy master. But it's like, are you kidding me? It's too hard for you to walk into his nursery and stab the kid or something? I always like, I think when Travis and I played Crusader Kings 2, a thing I hear a lot is that, Travis, you're constantly locked in like a war against your council. Oh, me? Yeah, I, I, I feel every time we play, every once in a while I'll hear you like struggling with your council to try and get them do it, to do what you want. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's how it's I usually if I'm trying to game. pass a law. Yeah, because I'll sometimes be, hear you just be like, oh, what the fuck? I can't go to war? My council doesn't want this? What the hell? Like, everyone would just, like, quit on me all the time. And I couldn't figure out why. And then they would all be mad at me, and I was just like, what? I'm just trying to <laughs> I'm trying play. To I'm just trying to, like, do the game. <laughs> Way a long time ago when they first did Sword of Islam that let you play, the, let you play as Muslims, they had a, a mechanic called Decadence, because, like, you shouldn't be decadent and in, in, in like islam you're supposed to like pay a zakat like a give alms to the poor you shouldn't live like super extravagantly mm -hmm. and there was a mechanic for if members of your dynasty would live like really extravagantly there might be um religious uprisings in the muslim world against you for not being a good muslim but oh, i weird. guess but i guess the developers did not think that through because you can have multiple wives okay that yeah that's fine that's that's with the religion you can have many kids yeah okay anybody can do that but what about when those kids have many kids and so on and if they're going to uprise against a dynasty you wind up with this dumb situation where like sir people are protesting you why because your fifth cousin removed is like this fat extravagant like slob and it's like <laughs> This is fundamentally broken. I don't think that they didn't think this through, but I think that's been patched out. Uh -huh. it's, been, it's been fixed up, but it's like, oh, wow. And it's funny because those are things that don't become evident until you let systems run for a while. 
and then you realize like uh oh this is that broken doesn't work yeah hell yeah we should absolutely play some more rim world and crusader kings hopefully my internet won't just like die in the middle of anything like the last time we played hell yeah hell yeah let's do it you know i made a conscious effort today to not say hell yeah but i've said it like 80 times <laughs> Like it's second. Nature. I yeah, I said it like just in passing, and I was just like, "Fuck, <laughs> shit, shit. goddamn it, this is not a hell yeah. This is this uh, is a hell no situation." 